I can't imagine much worse than wishing you lived your life a different way. I really can't. I'd almost rather be homeless for a year trying to figure something out (laughs) than get to 80 and be like, the one chance I had to try stuff, I gave up for what? And that has really helped me in determining the path forward. You have reached Escape the 9 to 5. Please leave a message after the tone. Hi there. I'm doing a boring day job and finding life sucks. Stuck in a 9 to 5 job and looking for something different? Escape the 9 to 5 is your guide to freedom. My name is Steve O'Ealy and my mission is to help you on your own career change journey. I chat with successful professionals who've either taken the leap themselves or have always done work differently. They share stories so that you can learn from their mistakes and benefit from their successes. Escape the 9 to 5 and join us on our journey to a more enjoyable life. Thanks for tuning in to the pilot episode of Escape the 9 to 5. So you're looking to leave your 9 to 5 job right? You want to do something else? But you're probably wondering, where do I even start? Chances are, you're probably here because you're not satisfied in your current 9 to 5 job. What's this podcast all about and how is it going to help me? My name is Steve O'Ealy. I'm somebody like you, on my own journey out of the 9 to 5. My story probably sounds similar to yours. I did what a lot of millennials do after school. I went to college, got a degree, and then found myself in a well-paying job I was not enjoying. Chances are, you have the same dilemma too. How can you escape the 9 to 5 and find work you enjoy doing without losing your financial freedom? This podcast is your guide to escaping the 9 to 5. We're talking to people who've faced a similar dilemma to you. I will be providing an episode-by-episode guide to escaping the 9-to-5 or hearing from people who've successfully made the leap. In today's pilot episode, you'll hear from Chris Stemp about how to quit a well-paying job. He was a financial analyst at a Fortune 500 company before having a panic attack at work, quitting, and becoming an entrepreneur and podcaster. He's in a learning and development role and also hosts Smart People Podcast, which was launched before there was even a podcasting app. He's a perfect first guest because he's been in your shoes. If you think you're earning too good money to quit, Chris is your inspiration to do it anyway. Earning the kind of money most people in the early 20s could only dream of, he took the leap when a panic attack helped him realize he was miserable in his job. You'll learn why you should be kind to yourself when you realize you've made the wrong career choice. Remember, you were only a teenager when you chose your career path. Why you should do it incrementally. And finally, what he means by creating space. Every episode, I'll give you a challenge to help you on your own journey out of the 9 to 5. This isn't just another motivational podcast. We're going to help you escape the 9 to 5 in an achievable way. I joined the conversation with Chris detailing how he went from being a financial analyst to entrepreneurship and starting a podcast. Essentially, I I went into finance for a very specific reason, which most people do, which is money, right? And mistake number one is, I think it's a really relevant topic. Know why you're getting into something and make sure that those reasons are yours. They're not societies. They're not your parents, your friends. Make sure they're yours because that wasn't a good reason to get into any career. But 
So I went to finance and literally on day two, I knew that I was in the wrong place, but, you know, I said, I'm going to stick it out. Well, what ended up happening is a, is a pretty insane story. One day I was in a meeting with my boss. I was just sitting there, just me and him. He's an awesome guy. I'm still friends with him to this day. But actually, I noticed that the room started kind of closing in and it was spinning and I started sweating and I didn't know why. This was not a stressful meeting, okay? And anyways, I passed out and my boss started clapping and he kind of woke me up or brought me to and I just ran out of his office, right? So I'm probably 22 years old at the time. I'm really embarrassed. I have no idea what just happened. I think I'm having a heart attack. So I drive myself to the emergency room, like any sane person would, right? <laughs> After you just kind of passed out, which is crazy. I mean, it's a, it's a really bizarre story. But six months later, going through doctors and all this stuff, convinced I was dying, I found out it was your vanilla panic attack, right? And I, I really don't want to downplay it because it is a life-changing event. Many people deal with it, but now I can look back on it that way. But that was really the signal for me that it's more than I was in the wrong place. It's that I have to get out or it's really going to do something long-term. And so at that point, there's a lot of people who get to this stage, you know, there's a change, but you don't know what it is, how to make it. You know, I, I based the previous eight years of my life to get to this point and it was the wrong decision. So for me, the only thing I knew how to do was take a step back. So I ended up convincing a few friends and my girlfriend at the time to move across the country to Arizona and take a little sabbatical. And it happened to be one of my really good friends, John, is into technology. He's always a little bit ahead of the curve. He'd always wanted to start a podcast. I was trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. And the two kind of merged together. And we said, what if we start a podcast asking people what we should do with our lives? So we started in October, November, 2010. If you look at the state of podcasting back then, it was almost non-existent. It was comedians, some kind of nerds, techno nerds. I mean, there wasn't an app on your phone, like any of that stuff. So I didn't really know anything about it. And we said, look, we'll just send emails out to 10 people that would be cool to talk to. And if any of them get back to us and say, we'll be on the show, then we'll try this podcast thing. And it just so happened, like seven agreed to do it, which there's two things there. One is back then, it wasn't as common to be asked to, to do an interview, a media interview. Right now, everyone who's written a book is getting asked left and right. So it's a little harder. Back then, they're like, yeah, this is cool. I get to promote my thing. So the fact that anybody said yes was really kind of, a, okay, let's give this thing a shot. So our first guest was this guy, his name's Dr. Walter Willett. He's one of the most well-known people in the health and wellness space. He's a he's an MD, like a he's a brainiac. He's not one of these kind of new age hipster, you know, Instagram health people. He's a Harvard, one of the most clinically cited nutrition doctors in the world and all that. So that was a, a kind of we made it in the sense of people will actually do this. Now to get to your real question, which was at what point down the line, for me, it would either be Brene Brown or Simon Sinek. And I say that because we had Seth Godin early on. We had Tony Shea, the former CEO of Zappos, who recently passed away. All amazing. But 
Brene Brown and Simon Sinek were people that I really looked up to their message and they kind of spoke to me and what I was trying to become. I still say to this day, like Simon Sinek is is kind of a, a goal of mine to be somewhat like him. So I'd say being able to talk to those people for 30, 45 minutes was like, we created something. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I'm a massive fan of TED Talks. So yeah. I know those two very well. Yeah. And I can imagine it would have been good talking to them. So what did you find the hardest part um, about going from a solid job to something, especially in the time you were doing it, where podcasting was very sort of left field? Yeah. What did you find the hardest or most challenging part of the transition? I'd say there's a, there's a number of difficulties, right? The biggest was actually managing my ego to some extent, meaning, you know, I, I have close friends. So where I live now, I've been or grown up since I was about 10, right? Of course, went to school and lived in a couple of places nearby. But a lot of the people I still hang out with, I've known since I was about 10, right? So going from working in finance, I, I bought when I was working in finance, I bought a brand new Infiniti G35, like $45,000 car when I was like 22. <laughs> uh, now, granted, wasn't making a ton, but when you're 22 and making decent money, you think it's a million dollars. So the next thing you know, I have no job. I'm utilizing all my savings just to live. I'm starting a podcast, which pretty much nobody knows what it is. So really just dealing with that, how do my friends see me? How do my parents see me? How does my girlfriend at the time who I married, how do they see me like making that transition from this very pre-planned path that you know is going to get you all the things you think you should have at 21, 22, 23 to... Now I'm going to try and find the path that is mine, which you have no idea what that is, or at least I didn't. And then, oh, by the way, I have to manage the social aspect of I still want people to like me and all that stuff. That was really (laughs) tough. And honestly, I don't think I solved it until I was in my 30s. To be fair, I think that's one of the biggest problems people battle with when they're going from, say, a solid career to something a bit more challenging. The irony is, of course, if you do something like podcasting, you're actually taking a massive risk and people should respect you for that. But for some reason, there's this sort of expectation in society, you know, like someone says, oh, I'm a banker. And people think, oh, you know, that's something to aspire to. But really, you should be aspiring to taking risks. Yeah, I'll tell you, there's two things there that really hit home. One is I've always been fascinated with the way we define success. And we've actually asked about 100 guests, and you don't even know this, actually, because we haven't told a lot of people, but off air, we asked them, what does success mean to you? And of course, there's some themes there that you can imagine. None of them have to do with money. I think the problem isn't how people define success. It's how it is externally defined via the media and things like that, right? So we just all know that success isn't a million dollars or whatever, a corner office. We know that. Nobody says that is success. But we still strive for that because we're not talking about what real success is. So I think that's one thing that you mentioned. And then the other is just like, I will tell you this, people, especially even friends or or people that aren't necessarily your close friends, but acquaintances, sometimes they don't even realize they're jealous of your ability to go after what you think it is you want, right? So a lot of people are following that path. And when they see somebody who says, I'm not going to do it, it's easier to kind of, I don't want to say make fun of that person, but tell them how they're wrong than it is to question, wait, then am I on the right path? Like, 
what am I doing? So that's a lot of the reason why people just say, hey, you should stick to the job that pays money or whatever, because that forces them to look inward, if that makes sense. So how would you convince someone to leave the apparent safety of a solid job to something entrepreneurial? I'll tell you one of the criteria that's honestly served me really well. It's probably the single best is I always ask myself, will I regret not doing this? And I know, again, I'm not telling you anything you've never thought of. I'm not telling you anything life-changing, but I think a lot of people ask themselves that and then convince themselves of a different answer. So I remember sitting in my office when I was in finance and going, okay, there's a few things I want to try out. One is I want to try my own company. Two is I want to try something in sports. And the third question is, do I want to be my boss? When I realized I absolutely don't want to be my boss, I just pictured myself at 70, 80 on my deathbed and said, will I regret not leaving? And I mean, it was so apparent I would regret it. I can't imagine much worse than wishing you lived your life a different way. I really can't. I'd almost rather be homeless for a year trying to figure something out (laughs) than get to 80 and be like, the one chance I had to try stuff, I gave up for what? And that has really helped me in determining the path forward. I always start with this, that a lot of the things you're going to hear out externally are not yours. So it's, it's odd. I started the podcast to get people to tell me what to do, right? I, I yeah. genuinely, I asked probably the first 75 guests, all my questions were about how do I become me? And what eventually I realized is like, they all are going to give me answers based off their stories. And all I'm doing is preventing myself from asking me the hard questions. The reason I say that is because like, Advice is absolutely worth it. I'm always reading. I'm always trying to hear advice. But at the end of the day, what I've done is tried to create this kind of repertoire in my mind. And then I write based on, I try to be as authentic as possible. I try to make sure I'm filtering out others' beliefs, others' needs, others' wants. Let's be as true to myself as I can and take the advice of others to to filter it through. So that being said... I would always just say, ask yourself, and this comes from Tony Shea. He said, what's the worst that can happen, right? And sometimes it's it's fairly bad. Sometimes it's not. But number two, you don't have to do something that is insanely scary. There's too many people out there saying jump and find your wings on the way down or burn the boats or I only do it when my back's up against the wall. And that's fine if that's you. I I don't do well that way, right? It seemed like it, but I always had kind of these plans ahead of time. And I had a guest one time that said, I don't believe in jumping off cliffs. I believe in building bridges. And I'll never forget that. So if you want to get somewhere and you're the type of person that is not high risk, build incremental bridges. If you're young, this is a huge thing. If you're young, like take your risk and multiply by 10 and do that because... I've got little kids now and man, the ability to take risks is just almost off the table. (laughs) Um, Quickly going back to Tony Shea, I remember actually listened to your replay of his interview and I remember him saying really like what is the worst that can happen, the absolute worst that can happen in today's society, um, especially in a country like mine, is we've actually got a safety net of the benefit if you lose your job. And so the perceived risk isn't actually that high, but I don't know what it is about people. They've got this idea. It's like 
if you go for a new career, it's like mentally like you're risking your life when in reality the worst thing that's going to happen is you might be jobless or have no income for a few months. Yeah, yeah. You almost said what he said verbatim. And I I know that the guy that I do the podcast with, that's his favorite quote in over 370 hours of interviews because it is, it's just logically it's so true, but it's hard to do. And I will say again, it's all based on where you are in life. That's why everything is so personalized. For me to take risks right now, quit a job is a lot harder. So there are some real pretty difficult consequences of maybe I lose my house and then my kids, how do I, you know, all that stuff. So you do have to take that into consideration. But what Tony was saying is we convince ourselves it's the end of everything. Nobody's going to like me. I'm going to be seen as a fool. I'm going to be on my parents' couch, all that. And to be honest, it's not true. And you could probably just go, okay, fine. I'll go back to getting a job for a year, save up again and try again. Do you think for people listening that there's a greater urgency if you're at a stage of life where you don't yet have kids to take that risk? So do I think if you don't have kids, you should be considering risk more? Is that what you're saying? Yes. I do. I I, I just do. But again, it's highly dependent. But if I could go back to being 22 or 23, you know, I don't know if I would change anything, but if I could at least tell myself something, it'd be like, just try even more things because... For example, in one period of my life, I was running a nonprofit, running the podcast, had a coaching business, and had a consulting business. But all of those things were things that I absolutely loved doing. When my kids came in, I cannot do that many things. I don't care what Gary Vaynerchuk says. I don't care what people say. Like, you can't do everything. So do it while you can. If you're listening and you have a family and all that, it by no means says that, well, now you can't. It just does logically become harder. Quote of the day. Every episode, I'll share with you a quote. And today I'm going to take one from our guest, Chris Demp. I can't imagine much worse than wishing you lived your life a different way. That's really the essence of why you're listening to this podcast. I can't imagine much worse than wishing you'd lived your life a different way. Life is too short for regrets but it's also too long for regrets. Especially if you don't have kids, you need to consider making changes, but don't use kids as an excuse not to change either. I joined the conversation back with Chris, asking him what common themes he's had from his guests, some of the smartest people on the planet. Yeah, there's a number that are recurring, but then you'll have the outlier. One that always fascinated me was the idea of imposter syndrome which is I've asked a lot of really smart. And when I say smart, most of the time, I am referring to a lot of the ways we define smart, right? Where they get their degrees and all that. But I've asked them, hey, you can't possibly feel like an imposter. You've got a degree from Harvard, Stanford, and Yale. You've been the CEO of this company and da, da, da. And they'll say, no, look, everybody's an imposter. There's one guest that didn't say that. It was Neil deGrasse Tyson, And I actually appreciated his answer so much more. He said, Chris, I've been doing this since I was like seven years old or something. He told me a story about giving a talk to a large group of adults when he was like 10 on astrophysics or something. He said, when you're doing it as long as I am and you dedicate as much time to it as I do, you can't feel like an imposter because you're not. And I put that in to say, again, neither is right or wrong. 
But if you put in the work and you truly are great at whatever you want to do, and of course, it's going to take time. I think eventually you get past that feeling. So that's one thing. A lot of people feel that imposter syndrome, but you can put in the work, you can specialize, and you can get past that. That's one theme I hear a lot of. Another theme that I hear a lot of is these people who have accomplished some really incredible things, they did it because of the joy of the journey, not because of the destination. Again, very cliche, but one that I remember is a guy I was talking about, he went to school for like 12 years, right? These PhDs and all this. And I said, oh, did you do it to get that PhD? And I remember he was like, God, no, that would be a horrible use of 12 years. He's like, I did it because this professor was amazing. This topic was fascinating. I couldn't wait to work on it. My brain has a hard time with that. I'm very goal-oriented. But the problem is you're typically disappointed by accomplishing the goal if you miss all the things that got you there. So that's another thing. It's kind of enjoy, you know, are you enjoying what you're doing? If not, what's the purpose of the outcome? Let me ask you, Steve, what do you think the number one thing that we heard from over a hundred of the smartest people on earth, when we ask them what success means to you, what what's a theme that you would think comes up a lot? Family and friends. That's it. Relationships, right? So are we thinking about that most of the time? And if we are, this is the question to ask yourself. If that is the way you think of success, are you building your life to maximize that or something else? We had Mark Manson on, but I was reading a ep- uh, blog post he wrote, and it was fascinating. And he's right. People will tell you what their values are, And then you look at their life and you say, then why are you doing it this way? So he used an example of people say, having intimate relationships is a value of mine. But they say, if I can work harder, then eventually I'll have enough money and flexibility to focus on those relationships. And if you step back for a minute, you realize you're doing it backwards. You know, you could just dive in and focus on the relationships now. So that's something I think really understanding why you're doing something and making sure it's yours is a theme that comes up. The other one is most of these people, almost all, are so genuine, kind, willing. The conversations I have before and after recording are, it's like I've known these people forever. So the lesson there is just, we can let our guard down a little bit. I talked to the co-founder of Square, right? This guy, Jim McKelvey, right? So we built Square with... uh, is he the one who did it with Jack Dorsey? There you go, Dorsey. I can never remember his name. Everyone's like, you can't remember Dorsey. No, nah, I don't like Twitter. But anyways, so I, I had him on. This guy is worth multiple billions, like with a B. That was another made it moment, by the way. He gave me his phone number. And I, this is so corny. I called my parents and I was like, <laughs> I've got a billionaire's number in my phone. Like, <laughs> that was just crazy to me. But anyways. This guy was within five minutes. It's like I've known him forever. And I asked him about having billions and all this. And again, you start to remove the achievement from the person. It's given me confidence when dealing with executives or really senior people because you start to see everybody's just human. We've put up this veil or these things that aren't true. And in fact, if you can help them be more human, they tend to enjoy your presence, whether they realize it or not. That's one thing I had noticed from listening to a number of your episodes is you can just tell from the conversations, you're not talking to someone above you. It just feels like a conversation between two friends. And that's probably partly because you're a good host, but also 
because the people themselves, they, they just sound like ordinary people. And sure, Neil deGrasse Tyson's brain's probably a little bit bigger than ours, but um, yeah, most of these people just sound ordinary and it makes you appreciate that. I don't know, I think there's this perception in society that you meet some CEO and they're just this mean, evil person, but actually a lot of the time, I think you might have even had a some CEO on relatively recently and he just comes across as a nice, likable guy. I think the one you're talking about, he was the CEO of a multi-billion dollar global healthcare company. And I asked him, I said, you know, what's your tip for being CEO and all this? And he said, I focused on two things. I focused on finding people who are really good at their job. And then I focused on letting them know how good they were at their job, essentially. And the point is, he got to the point where he was just surrounding himself with people who wanted to be around him, but were really good at their job. And guess who that person becomes? The CEO, right? That's your job, is to get really good people. I mean, strategy and all that, but get really good people and and help them excel. And so to your point, you don't necessarily get there by being a jerk. Now, I will counter that with, for anybody who likes this stuff, there's a book called The Psychopath Test. And uh, it's pretty terrifying when it talks about there's a high percentage of people in very uh, high positions of power that would qualify as psychopaths. And if you think about it, right, let's say you want to be the leader of a, a massive organization or something like that. The drive it takes, the singular focus, the ability to cut everything else out, the ability to sometimes stomp on those below you and all this. I mean, man, it takes a special person. And so uh, anyways, I don't know how I got on this topic, but there is a wide range. The point being, most of them, just great people and the willingness to be on the show and things like that. It's pretty incredible. For people listening to the show, what would be three tips that you would give to them, particularly people that don't necessarily have a clear path forward? And maybe a little bit like you, really, when you were in finance, you probably didn't have a clear path forward. So what would be three tips that you could give to them? Yeah, I mean, the first one, I think, I always say, I wish I was a little more kind to myself. There are some people that luck into their profession for the rest of their life. And I say luck into, I don't mean it's not hard work. It's just they do have something very specific that they're extremely passionate about that they can do every day. That's not a lot of people. So the rest of us are out there flailing, floundering, figuring it out, and realize that is a vast majority that do that. So be kind to yourself when you get into that stage where you're like, wow, I was wrong. Of course you were wrong. When did you make that decision? When you were 17 and your brain hadn't even fully formed? Like, you're going to get it wrong. So instead of saying, why didn't I know this? Just say, okay, time to learn. So number one is just really be kind to yourself because it's not going to do you any good to beat yourself up. I know I did a lot. Number two is create space. Create space. I don't want to go into a lot of the brain science, one, because it's always changing. But what we know is if you are frantic, so you're working all the time, and when you're not working, you're stressed, and you're thinking about what to do next, you can't be creative. You can't tap into that part of your brain where you can think and dream and feel good. So you have to create the space necessary to allow yourself to dream, to allow yourself to uncover who you really are or where you want to go next. And then three is just do it incrementally. And again, you hear this everywhere, but 
we are definitely bombarded with you have to get to a level immediately. And it's astounding. I mean, one of my things was I was like, I'm going to be CEO. That was the thing when I was 20 years old. I'm going to be CEO. Do you know how hard it is? I mean, it's like, what kind of goal is that, first of all? Why would you even want to aspire to that necessarily as well? No idea. No idea. Because I saw it in a movie sometime, you know? I mean, it's just baffling. But even if that is your goal, it's going to take decades for the most part. But you don't see that because you see the Zuckerberg. Or you see the very few people who, who get there. Look, you could probably do it, but the sacrifice is going to be pretty brutal to get there. So be kind to yourself, take space, and then just work towards it incrementally. If you do those three things, you'll get there. Like you will, and you will be better off for doing it that way than trying to crush yourself the whole time. That uh, sounds like pretty good advice. One comment you made about being kind to yourself. So my background is as a vet. And I've had a lot of regrets looking back and why did I choose this career? Why did my parents encourage me? Like this wasn't the right thing for me, blah, blah, blah. As you say, I was 17 when I made the decision to go to vet school. That That's the first part of it. But the second part of it is you need to be in a job and learn about yourself to actually realize what you don't like. And now that I've come to terms with it and have made a change, I'm actually really grateful that I did vet science because I met lots of awesome people. I did an interesting degree and it's quite a wide ranging job. So it gave me the opportunity to learn what parts of a job that I do like and don't like. So I think people need to look at what position they're in currently and not think, oh, you know, this was the worst thing in the world. They likely, even if they didn't enjoy it, they likely have learned something along the way. It's funny you say that. I used to think that was such a load of crap. Like, I really did. When people were like, but what did you learn? I was like, it was a mistake. I learned nothing. Of course, <laughs> as you're coming to hear, right, I didn't always make the best decisions. And I, I didn't have the best thought process for a long time because you're absolutely right. You're learning something. You're learning something about yourself, what you like, what you don't like. The worst thing you can do is sit in a room and think you can figure it out by just thinking. Yeah, yeah I got to go out. And do it. And I'll tell you an example of this. This is hilarious, by the way. So I'm 27 ish. I just got back from Arizona. We'd started the podcast. It was doing good, but we weren't making any money at that point. It was just fun and doing good. And I said, look, I'm going after it. I restarted my life. And I've always wanted to work in golf, sports of any kind, but golf, baseball. I mean, it is frustrating when people say, what's your passion? I have one real, real passion and it's sports. Being passionate about sports is, is just awful because the amount of people who are going to make it, I mean, let's be honest, right? So I said, I'm going to become a golf club professional, right? Not a golf pro, not like, you know, PGA, but a, a club pro, give lessons, all this. So I got a job, 27 years old at a golf course making minimum wage, the average age of the people working there is probably 18. I moved back in with my parents. I drove the car because I had to sell my car and stuff. I drove the car that I drove when I learned to drive. So when I was 16, I drove in 19, I think it was like 83 Mazda. And now I'm 27 and I'm back to driving this same car. What happened to the 45 grand car? You don't want to know. Well, I mean, I sold it, but... But then what I did with the money, is it's all ridiculous. But anyways, so I'm driving to my minimum wage job in the first car I ever owned. 
living with my parents, working with 18-year-olds. But I'll tell you, I wasn't embarrassed by it. And my friends were killing it in their jobs. But I didn't care because I was like, I don't know where this is going. But at least this was that example of when I die, I'll say, at least I gave it a try. Maybe I become this amazing golf club teacher. Maybe I don't. Within six months, I was like, this job sucks. Golf is way better as a hobby. But I couldn't have learned that just sitting in my room. I had to go do it or else I would have regretted it. That six months, looking back, is, is nothing in terms of my life, my career path, all that. But it's massive in my mental ability to say, I tried, I learned, to your point, I'm figuring things out. Now, every time I'm on the golf course... And I think, oh, it'd be great to do this for a living. I can actually say with experience, no, no, it's, it's not that great, okay? And I'm just saying, these are the types of things you can learn from. I think that's a really good example because especially going back to the perception comment, you know, your friends and family might think, oh, what's Chris doing? He's throwing everything away to go and play on a golf course. But all that really matters to you is your perspective and that you've actually given it a crack. And I'm sure most people listening would have something that, might not class as your typical style of work or, or whatever, but you've got to give it a crack. This is just, in my experience, the number one reason why people don't give it a crack is because of others' perception. That's what, in my experience, the number one reason. Now, if it's your parents, it's even harder because a lot of times people feel their parents have given them so much, they need to kind of do something that's responsible. Luckily for me, that is one area I've never had to deal with. My parents are literally like, you want to go play professional Frisbee, we'll support you. So that was one that I drew the lucky card. Everybody has their demons to fight when it comes to these things. But I do think once you decide I'm going to live life for me, it does become easier. And I'd say that most people, especially those with maybe parents that do possibly put more pressure on them, probably when they see that you are happier doing something that you enjoy doing, they probably in the end will come around to it. They will. I mean, especially if they actually care about you, all they care about is your well-being. That's one thing that's funny. We always go around saying, oh, we'll sit at home thinking about careers we want. Let's just pick one. We'll say uh, consultant or something. Just making it up. Whether we admit it or not, we say, well, what would so-and-so think about that? What would my parents, what would my friends, what would my girlfriend, what would my wife, we all, what would they think about that? Let me tell you something. They are not thinking about you, okay? They're really not because they're thinking the same thing. This is why podcasts like yours exist and mine and all these things out there because people want to know, oh, you have this doubt too? Oh, good. Okay. Now we can talk about it out loud. I actually had a friend who was a dairy farmer, which is quite a solid job in New Zealand, and he quit that to do radio school. And kind of very similar to you with the golfing is all his classmates were 18 and he's sort of a late 20s. He said to me when he told me, he was kind of like apprehensive about telling me. And when he told me, I was like, mate, that's bloody awesome. You've got a great voice. You've got a great sense of humor. You'll be great at being a radio host. Your own perception of everyone else's perception is actually the thing that's holding you back. Yeah. And I have to say, by the way, this is just too hilarious. Like, I want to be a dairy farmer. I'll tell you this much. The dream house that I, I live in, I just bought a year ago. First thing I did was build a chicken coop and get chickens. I mean, that is what I want. I want a farm. So it's just funny that when you were saying that. And then the other thing is, you mentioned you were a vet. You know how many people grow up wanting to be a vet? Now, do they get it right or wrong? That's not the point. The point is, for every person out there who wants to be a certain profession, there's somebody else who was that 
and is sick of it. It's yeah. only what works for you. I would be a dairy farmer or a vet, you know? Yeah. You've done it. He's done it. And you're like, you don't want it. We don't know. We don't know what it's like until we try it. We can learn from others. But I thought people read books or listened to podcasts or sought advice because they wanted answers. And what I learned is most of the time, it's just because it allows us to convince ourselves we're making progress without actually asking ourselves the tough questions. It's a lot easier to listen to somebody and say, what should I do? Then ask yourself, what should I do? But the only one that's going to matter is that answer. It's actually a really, really good point and something that I learned. When we were in lockdown in New Zealand, I had a lot of extra time on my hands. And one of the things I did every day was listen to one of your episodes. So I'd listen to one of the topics that sounded interesting to me. And what I found was after a period of time, I'd listen to sort of 10, 20 episodes and you have all this great advice and it is great advice but at some point, you've actually got to do something with it. And it's all well and good having these amazing um, sound bites. And genuinely, like every time you'd finish an episode, and you'd be like, gee, that, that's going to change my life learning that. But it doesn't actually change your life until you actually do something with it. That's right. And it was around that period that I actually started to make a change in my own life. And in the middle of last year, I quit my job without even having found another job because I just knew that the only way I was going to make it happen was to draw the line. My job is a bit unusual in that we have to give three months notice. So it gave me a little bit of a safety net. But I knew if I just kept telling myself, oh, I'll change, then I wouldn't do it. So I just at one point quit. And that was when the change actually happened. And so for people listening, you can listen to the, the most interesting and smart people in the world. But until you actually do something and start to make a change, nothing's ever actually going to happen. Yeah. And there's two really, really key points that you have to take away from that if you're listening. One is like you said, you quit your job because you knew you had to. When I was saying the thing about building a bridge, that's the equivalent of a lot of people talk about side hustle, right? So build your side hustle until it can become your main hustle. That's one way. But my bridge and your bridge were similar in that I saved up money. So I saved up, gosh, I don't know, 40 grand, 50 grand. And, you know, by the time I was like 24. Because I was working in finance. So somebody could say, or I could say, it was a waste of time. Or you could say, you saved enough money to live carefree for like a year and a half or whatever it was afterwards and figure yourself out. So that was my bridge. Your bridge was, I've got three months. The other thing is you probably could have fallen back. Let's say you were absolutely destitute. You couldn't pay bills. You couldn't eat. You could probably go get a job doing something with animals, save up some more money, and then try it again. The other thing about your comment about like, you can get all the great sound bites, but you got to go do something. I'm not saying that content or any of this isn't valuable. What I'm saying is we have to realize what it is. Okay. It's motivation, entertainment. It is knowledge. It's precursors to action, but none of it matters unless that person says, I will take action. Convincing yourself you need other things to take action is a stalling tactic. It's like buying the gym equipment so that once you have it, you can work out. We all know you don't have to have that. You can just do push-ups. So, I mean, look, I, I love listening to podcasts and reading books. I do it all the time. But I've finally gotten to the point where I realized it might be motivation. It might be entertainment. It might be this. It's not like I'm going to go, oh, my God, I never knew that. Because trust me, you know most of the stuff. 
the money side of things in terms of saving money, I think that's actually a really good way to go about it because I think in the back of people's minds there is that sort of inherent needing to feel safe. And if you have six months' worth of savings at least behind you and you know that you can survive until then, then you can go and take that risk and do the thing that might not pay you any money, such as starting a podcast or whatever business idea you might have. But at least having some sort of safety net financially is not necessarily a bad idea. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. And, you you know, I realize everybody has different situations. I'll give you an example, right? Some people come out of college and... I mean, it's so funny. I'm talking to you like I I do not know the global environment, but here in the States, you can come out of college with literally $150,000 in debt. Oh, America's just stupid in terms of debt. Oh, it's stupid. I mean, it's stupid. And you know what's funny, by the way, not to turn this into that, but I think we're finally realizing it. Like I've known it, I think for a while, just because where my, where my mindset, where my political stuff lies. But I think a lot of the country's starting to realize like, wait a second, we got a lot of stuff backwards where people in probably New Zealand, maybe Australia, a lot of places in Europe are sitting there like, we knew this. It was just you idiots that didn't know it yet. <laughs> yeah. The, the, this is going on a massive sidebar, but um, I've actually got some mates who are living in the States. And I have to say, I think the American mentality to work in life is a little bit backwards. I think um, you guys have less public holidays than China. And I get the impression, not everywhere, of course, but the mentality just seems to be work comes before life. Is that not true, by the way? Like, let's just pause for a second. So it's funny. I was just reading an article about what the pandemic might do for us. Let's imagine this. I mean, I'm I'm fascinated by this topic at the moment. One of my least favorite things to do is commute. I set a goal when I was about 28, 29. I live in Virginia. I was driving into D.C., so... You wouldn't know this because you're around the world, but it's literally the worst traffic in the country on this road. It's called I-66. And I still have a picture on Facebook that pops up every year. And it says, my goal is to never see this again. And it's just like miles of brake lights, right? (laughs) So uh, the pandemic has obviously helped with that. I've been working from home for, for months and months and months. And I love it. Love every second of it. My point with this is, what is this gonna do to work in the future? Well, I can probably have my farm because I can move a little further out west. I don't need as much money because I can just buy a cheaper house because I don't have to be close to a city. But you can also get people from anywhere. So you could work for an American company the same way I can. It's all Zoom or whatever. The only reason I say that is he was also saying maybe finally, and he was talking specifically about Americans, we will also learn and understand that life is about living and not working. And man, it's crazy because you get indoctrinated in a place working from nine to six and and working from home seems like to me, it seems like a good deal after you've seen the things I've seen, like in finance. I mean, I would leave my house at seven. I'd get home at about nine. That was it. Five days a week. (laughs) And all the research I think shows that after about 30 hours of work a week, your productivity just drops off. Yeah. Well, and again, This is what you realize now in the role I'm in and the maturity and the things I've seen, I just call out the BS. I'm like, you know, you're just doing that to justify your job here. Let's just simplify things and move on. A lot of it is, to your point, a mentality of fear. I do think a lot of this very materialistic, capitalistic, all that society that that I'm a part of and live in, it makes you be fearful because somebody's going to take your job. Somebody's going to outsource it to another country for cheaper. Technology's going to take it. 
there's not a lot of things you can fall back on and all that. So you work harder and longer and faster, even if it's not for a purpose. So many people, a lot of the depression these days and a lot of that is because the work we're doing doesn't really have a purpose. And that's that's kind of baffling. So I don't know how we got on this, but I, it is a pretty fascinating uh, topic. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> I appreciate that we're talking about the sort of work-life thing and you do have a family, so I will let you go, Chris. But thanks heaps for coming on our show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, Steve, thanks for having me on. Because I will say this, just for those listening, and I'll give you my email address and everything. The change that happened to me was forced upon me. And what I mean is, if I didn't have massive health-related issues with a panic attack, and that can sound really meh, right? But I, I mean, I genuinely thought for months I was dying, like dying. If that wouldn't have happened to me, I'd probably still be in finance. And it's just my mentality of call it American, call it, you know, jock, stupid, male, testosterone-fueled, money-driven, whatever. I don't know if I would have questioned these things. I really don't. I mean, I was a different person. I was always a nice guy. I always considered myself to have those morals and everything, but I was not very introspective. It's completely different from who I am now. The amount of value, education, communication, people. The reason I say this is the switch that finally got me on the right path was to do it on a purpose. What is the purpose? And my purpose genuinely is to help that 25-year-old me. That's why I'm a certified coach and I did career coaching. That's why I started the podcast. That's why I've given free speeches at colleges. That's why I've gone to other nonprofits and I've talked to less fortunate teenagers. And that's why I do development work now because it's not your fault if you don't know what you're doing, but there are people and resources out there and I'm just trying to be a resource. So check out the podcast, but shoot me an email. You just email at chris at smartpeoplepodcast.com. If you have questions, if you're like, hey, I'm, I can't figure this out with my job, like I'll probably be able to get back to you. And I love this stuff. So I just want to throw that out there because I love what you're doing. I think it's really important. It was great to have Chris Stemp on the show, financial analyst turned entrepreneur and host of Smart People Podcast. For more about his show, visit smartpeoplepodcast.com. Three tips from Chris. Number one, be kind to yourself. It is perfectly normal to have made the wrong career choice when you were a teenager. Just be kind to yourself. Number two, create space. And we'll go into this in more detail later. Number three, do it incrementally. You'll hear some people say jump. It really depends on your personality, how much risk you're willing to take. My challenge to you today is around the theme, create space. Challenge accepted. You can do this in one of three ways. Number one is to take a break from work, not to go on a holiday, but to rest, relax, and recharge. Sleep well, eat healthily, and ideally don't drink. You're going to be making some big decisions in the coming weeks and months, and you want to put yourself in the best mindset possible. Go for long walks and allow thoughts to come up. Don't overthink at this early stage, just let thoughts come up naturally. Option two is if you're really committed to making a change, I would also encourage you to talk to your boss about reducing hours. You're not going to be able to make change without reducing energy spent doing your current job and focusing energy making change. The final option is, if you are extremely stressed in your job and or miserable, consider quitting. This is the worst case scenario. 
Research shows that our focus narrows when we're stressed. You're not going to be able to make the best decisions with your future if you're currently in a highly stressful job. So something needs to change. Challenge accepted. Thanks for listening to Escape the 9 to 5. If you need more help with your own career journey, be sure to join our Facebook group, Escape the 9 to 5 podcast. Making a career change is difficult and you need any help that you can get. So I strongly recommend you join our Facebook group where there'll be other people to support and help you on your journey. This week, we're talking about ways you can create space in the beginning of your career transition in order to make the best decisions for you going forward. The link to the group is in the show notes. See you next week on Escape the 9 to 5. Escape the 9 to 5 is a Deals Media production. If you felt like this episode brought you any value at all and helped you on your journey to escaping the 9 to 5, please do give us a rating if you're on Apple or Spotify podcasts. Otherwise, make sure you subscribe on whatever app you're listening on. This show is produced and created by me, Steve O'Ealy. Editing is thanks to Jeremy Grater. And show music is thanks to Mikey Geiger. For more information and support, please visit our Facebook page, Escape the 9 to 5 podcast. Links to this are in the show notes. See you next time on Escape the 9 to 5.